Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of The Shift. Today, we're joined by the one and only Beth Azor, the canvassing queen. Beth is absolutely incredible. This episode is just such a wealth of knowledge. I don't even know where to begin with the amount of stuff we covered. Beth, her career is incredible. The work she's doing, the work she's done. I think everyone in the market knows her. This is an incredibly impactful episode. Listen, take notes, rewind, and enjoy. Thank you all, and welcome to The Shift. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Shift. So excited. Joined by the one and only Beth Azor. Everyone knows Beth. I don't have to introduce her, but she's the founder and uh, CEO of Azor Advisory Services. Beth, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Kurt. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. No, I'm so thrilled to have you here. I think you are the most requested person that we've had from previous guests. So I'm, I'm happy to I'm happy we're able to make this happen. Um, well, to kick things off, Beth, tell tell us about yourself. Tell us about your background and how you got into real estate. Sure. So my parents were in uh, residential. So like most residential realtor families, uh, most kids get their license at 18. So at 18, I got my real estate license in a small town. I lived in Flagler Beach, Florida, and that's between Daytona and St. Augustine. And I would do real estate on the during the summers of college. Um, when I was at home on break from Florida State University, go Knowles. And I graduated from FSU with an English literature degree. Everyone finds that very funny. And with a minor in PR and communication. So I got a job at a not-for-profit right out of school. And I loved my job, but I was making a whopping, Kurt, $11,000 a year. <laughs> so I, and that's like 30, that, that was in 1983. So I'm very old. So that was like 30 now. So on the weekends, I would do real estate. And for two years straight, I worked at the Heart Association, loved every minute of it uh, because it was in the field that I had passion for. I loved planning special events and doing PR and communications. Um, but after two years, my salary doubled from 11 to 23,000. And my executive director pulls me into her office one day and says, we love you, but your ambition exceeds us. <laughs> so wow. you should just volunteer for us and be on the board. And you should go do this real estate thing that you, you've been doing part-time, full-time. So I took her advice because I was kind of tired of working seven days a week. And I went, I started working for my weekend job full-time and immediately just felt like I sold out for money. I was miserable. I hated my job. I was sitting in a trailer um, selling homes for a developer. And I would go to the developer and I'd say, we need to have events and bring people in. And he's like, no, no, we build luxury homes. Just sit in the trailer reading People Magazine. And when people come in, sell them a house. And I was miserable. And then one day, uh, a woman by the name of Susie Hazi, who today works for Kimco, she was helping our developer on the weekends because I guess her boss was related to my boss. And she said, you need to get into this thing, this thing we do called leasing. Well, she said, you need to get into commercial real estate. And I said, commercial real estate, that's worse than this. Isn't That's like selling land, isn't it? How boring. And she said, no, no, there's this thing called leasing. And you, when you developers build shopping centers with grocery stores and then you fill in all of the vacancies on either side of the grocery store like to a bagel shop and to a dry cleaner and to a nail salon and when you do that 
you help these people achieve their American dream and you're invited to every wedding bar mitzvah and holy communion because you're part of the family. I said, sold, where do I find, where do I get a job like that? And she said, there's a company in Miami called Terra Nova. They have a training program and you should call there. So the next day I called Terra Nova and I said, do you have a training program to train people to lease space? And they said, yes. I go, well, who's in charge of that? And they said, a woman by the name of Donna Abood. And I went, Donna Abood from Florida State? And they said, yeah, she went to Florida State. So she was a sorority sister of mine at FSU. Oh, that's, so that's she picks up the phone and she goes, Beth from Florida State? I said, yeah. She goes, you're hired. Just come meet the boss. And I went down there and I met Stephen Battelle and we had 11 people at Terra Nova. And I ended, when I walked in, I, I had goosebumps. Like I knew the minute I walked into the office, I had no idea what leasing space was. I just felt like I was at the right place. And I, w I ended up staying there 18 years. And the last six years there, I was the president. And we grew from 11 people to over about 150. Wow. Um, tell us a bit more about what you're doing today. So in 04, I left Terra Nova because my I was a single mom of a four-year-old and I couldn't keep working the 60, 70, 80 hour work weeks that I was doing running a large company. So I decided to go out on my own and I thought I would just buy and acquire and in, in, invest in properties because I had done that a lot with him as a limited partner and I wanted to go and try it on my own account being a GP. And I got a phone call about three months after I left Terra Nova and it was a group out of uh, Detroit, Michigan by the name of Ramco Gershenson, which is now RPT. And they said, we just hired four kids out of University of Michigan. Will you come train them to be good leasing agents? We know that you've done that a lot in your career at Terra Nova and you know, we'd like you to do it. So I said, well, Detroit, January, not really thrilled about that. I said, but you have properties down here in South Florida. Why don't you send the four kids down here? I'll train them down here. And, and they said, yeah, we'll do that. And the rest was history, kind of, because it was a huge success. There are still two people from that original class of four still in the business, and I see them and talk to them. But That's they great. told, you know, other REITs and other public companies who told other people that I, you know, can train leasing agents. So I would say that about 20% of my time these days are training leasing agents. I go to companies, people come down here. And because and I just think I was a teacher in another life. I love to teach. I own five shopping centers that are worth about $80 million. So a lot of my time is spent on leasing those and just supervising my property manager and my bookkeeper on running those deals that I own with myself and partners and um, doing other kinds of consulting. So that's kind of, so it's basically running my assets, coaching, training, and consulting. You are known as the canvassing queen, which I think is the best nickname in the industry. I, it has to be. Yeah, there it is. That's perfect. For those listening, Beth has a cup that says the canvas queen on it. It's the best. Why, why is there only one canvassing queen? Like, why is it such an overlooked part of the market? It's so valuable. To get you, can you explain that? Yeah. So it's funny because peep, there was someone um, that was calling me that as, as a criticism. And I said, oh, I think I'm going to take that. So I turned it around as a positive. Yeah. But Jokes I on used to, yeah, I would be on panels at ICSEs and I would take my team when I was at Terranova. We had at one point 14 leasing agents and we had something called Terranova Tuesday where on every Tuesday the team would go canvassing. And about once a month I would go with them even as the president. And that's how we got 
you know, our occupancy's high, rent's high. So I'm a huge believer. Donna Abood, my original boss, taught me that prospecting and canvassing going into the office space, into the retail space was the way to do it. And I've, I've always you know, benefited significantly by doing that way. I st we still do national tenant deals. We still get lease, you know, sign calls, you know, leasing prospecting calls from our signs. But if I want right now, I, I have a salon that just moved out. The woman unfortunately passed away and her husband didn't want to keep the salon. So I have an available salon. So I have been going to blow dry bars and lash and, and brow places. And I've been literally going to see them because when you, I can get someone to call me, but I still need to go see them, right? I, I want to see what their operation looks like if it's if it's neat and cool and trendy, or is it thirty years old and you know not the kind of clientele that I want. So by and by doing it and going out and meeting the people in where they are and where they do business, you just have a leg up. And I and I also believe in canvassing karma that you know because you're putting in the hard work, you're like you said. Well, why isn't anyone else doing it? It's just easier to take phone calls and call brokers. It's just easier. It's easier to sit at your desk and take your signed calls. I've been pushing in the last, I think, five years, DMing on Instagram and Facebook, and that has taken on a life of its own, which I'm happy about. So now a lot of people are prospecting for retail tenants through social media, which is great. But again, um, I just I was in Cleveland last week and I'm, I'm helping a, an office building owner and I walked into at 445 Thursday night into an executive suite, 6000 square feet. When I walked in, the, 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 the CEO happened to be in town and I walked into his office and he goes, people do this. That's awesome. <laughs> I know only me. <laughs> yeah, that's it, exactly. But I mean, I in 37 years of canvassing, I've never run into anyone. So, uh, but I know I know there are people that do it. It's just easier. It's just easier to not do it. I but I typically don't take the easy route, Kurt. Yeah, but it's the it's the wrong route, right? The easy route's hardly right, you know. So, um, t tell me a bit about. And he said, actually, I want to double back. He said something really interesting there that struck me. It's not about finding a tenant. It's about finding the right tenant and the right fit. Can you talk about like one or two of the things that you look for that are that are other aspects of that that are goals for you when you go out to do these canvassing missions? Yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm the first thing I do is I identify the list. So for this Cleveland opportunity that I'm working on, I believe that co-working or executive suites will fit this specific space that we've got a fully built out, ready to go space, never been occupied. And it's, it's the perfect use for that space. So I kind of target Canvas. The same thing with my own shopping centers. I, you know, I've been targeting brows, lashes, IV, B12 IVs, injections. I've been targeting high-end barbershops. So you can, you can DM on Facebook and Instagram, but it's not, it might not be the right barbershop for, to, to be next to a $4 million sushi restaurant. So going and actually seeing the barbershops will help you identify the right ones, right? So it just, you get to see so much. I tell a story about how I had a, a person, uh, a prospect call me once and he said, hi, I have a pet store and I want 3,500 square feet. I'm like, perfect. I have the perfect space, 3,500 square feet. And he says, great. And I, and so we set up a, a time to show space like that was, it was on a Friday. So we we're going to show space on Monday. So on Saturday, I put my kids in the car and we drove up to, it was like 
15 miles away to their other location. And Kurt, as I'm, a, I'm sitting at the, the intersection of the light and I can see the shopping center that I'm about to pull into. And as I'm pulling into the shopping center, I see 60 feet of width of a sign. So, you know, you know, going across three or four storefronts, right? And it says, we buy rats. And, you know, 36, you know, three feet high letters. We buy rats. And I'm like, okay, glad I saw this. Canceled the showing. Like that is, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm not interested in a snake pet store that where they want to put that in the window. But, and it, you know, and so, so it's super important to go see the, pros, the the tenants who have existing locations and see, is it merchandised well? Is it clean? Is it in front of a, a, an area that needs a lot of parking? Is it in front of an area, an elbow in the shopping center that doesn't need a lot of parking so that you can put them in the right place? Because a lot of times leasing agents put the wrong tenants, the, the right tenants, but in the wrong places in your shopping centers. I want to, I want to, that's first of all, one of my favorite stories I've heard in real estate. I love that one. Um, but I, I want to pivot a little bit because something else you've mentioned, I mean, you are an absolute powerhouse on LinkedIn. I think you have an incredible social presence. It's one of the reasons I was so excited to meet with you today. And you also just mentioned that almost the digital canvassing, right? The social media canvassing. Can you talk about that pivot a little bit, what that was like and, and how it's going for you now and some of the strategies you're deploying there? Yes. Seven years ago, I had an intern walk into my office and said, I think we should prospect on Facebook. And I was not on any social media whatsoever, not on Facebook. I thought it was the stupidest thing ever. And I pretty much said to her, I think that's the stupidest idea ever. And then I heard the teacher, my teacher brain's brain said, that's not very nice. And I said, well, go ahead, honey, let's see what happens. Again, rude. And in two weeks, we had a signed lease with a chocolate store that I had been after for years. And I went, oh, there might be something to this. And we started, I got on Facebook, we started DMing um, tenants that, that had Facebook following. We were able to see their reviews. We were able to learn a lot about the tenants. We could see pictures of their spaces and we could DM them and say, and, and say, Hey, we have a shopping center. We'd love to have, you know, your brow and lash salon. And we have a former salon that just moved out. The, the key to it all is that mostly on the social media pages, mostly, I would say 90% of the time you're getting the boss. Now, very sometimes you get a social media manager, but most of the time, yesterday I DM'd a, a, a blow dry salon, and the woman said, responded, DM'd me back, and said, "I'm I'm texting you, you know, on my from my personal page," and and she wrote back later, she goes, "I didn't want my people to see that I might be looking to move, right?" So, yeah. so you're getting the boss. So as much as I love canvassing, if I canvass a hundred people, I might get twenty bosses. But on social, uh, the stats show for every 10 DMs, you get three or four responses and one is a positive with, and, and all four that respond to you, 90% are the bosses. So you're bypassing the gatekeepers. So that's huge. And that's why it's taken off. So I started talking about that three or four years ago. And it's now when I, when I first started talking about it, people are like, you do what, where, like they, they, now everyone's doing it, which is great. And it's, and it helps the leasing agents and it's good for time efficiency. And I, I did a project in Cleveland for Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cavs, and we've signed 53 leases. I'm only in Cleveland four days a month. Three weeks out of the month, I'm DMing Cleveland businesses. 
And then when I'm in town, I'm showing spaces. If I wouldn't have had that DM aspect of my prospecting strategy, I wouldn't have signed 53 leases in less than two years. Uh, on LinkedIn, uh, my pretty much my content is based to help people, you know, help value add, tell stories, you know, tell my wins, my losses, and just you know build build an awareness platform because I'm trying to get maybe more of the national retailers. We're not getting a lot of local connections on LinkedIn, but you know, if I can post enough about, hey, leasing agents don't sell, don't send email blasts to the national retailers. When I see the national retailers at the conferences, they hug me. So that's a good thing, you know, cause you want the national retailers to be on your side. Uh, but lately um, I've been really on this Twitter kick since Elon has bought it and it's been crazy. I've gotten more business on Twitter since January than I've gotten on LinkedIn in seven years. Wow. And is that, is that from the retailers directly? Nope. It's from, it's my, it's building my consulting business. So it's property owners who own shopping centers that need some consulting advice for their properties. There, there are some retailers on it, but mostly it's for that. It's the training and the consulting and the coaching business, but it's, and it's like a master's class on, on Twitter. There's a lot of people sharing a lot of great, uh, if you want to invest in, in commercial real estate, Twitter's the place to be. You learn a lot. I, I agree with that completely. Hashtag retweet. Uh, thank you to all the, the fam out there. Um, I'm curious to hear when you get engagement from people for consulting or for education that you'd be providing, is social like the tip of the spear for people? Or do they talk about the canvassing or is it kind of all encompassing? I'm curious to hear like where technology lies in that conversation. I don't repeat the question. So when, when someone, uh, when, so when someone comes to you, um, for an engagement, a consulting engagement or to educate their brokers, how often are they saying, Hey, teach us how to use technology, teach us how to use social media versus, Hey, teach us how to do the canvassing and things like that. Again, I'm just curious to see where technology lies in their order of importance. So I would say it's 75% canvassing and 20% social media. Got it. Because okay. our industry is our industry is still way behind. Yep. So when I, you know, when I say, let's talk about eyeballs, you know, I, I just spoke to a group that opened an office in South Florida and they're huge in another part of the country, but they're brand new in South Florida. And I said, don't you want all these hospitality companies that are moving down from New York opening restaurants, wouldn't you, you know, you're a huge tenant rep firm in another part of the country. Wouldn't you like to have 20 tenant reps in South Florida repping these five-star, four-star hospitality? Well, they've got to know who you are. How are you, how are you going to do that? What's the, the easiest way is from doing, being active on social, but it's there. They all, they all still look at me like, oh yeah, I'll get my 19 year old niece on that. And that's not how to do it. Right. But no, as far as technology goes a lot of, there are a lot of people that will call me and say we come teach our our leasing agents to be more efficient through prop tech like what are here's the late the latest you know 10 different prop techs out there and I, and I say that's not me but that's you know I'll teach you I'll take your canvassing and I'll right. help build the pipeline but there are other people that can teach better efficiencies involving all of the you know trying to weed through the new all the new prop techs Op options out there. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Um, 
obviously, you know, this initial season we're doing for the shift, we're focused on women leaders in commercial real estate. And I think, unfortunately, the industry still has a lot of diversity issues. And what I'm so happy about is being able to showcase women leaders in commercial real estate and people, the growing voices that exist um, from minorities um, and women in other groups. So I'd love to hear from you. I think one of the missions you said was in, in getting women to invest more in commercial real estate. Can you talk about that mission and, and some of the things you're doing along those lines? It's just fantastic to hear. Yes. Thank you for, for asking. And I saw that you have, I just listened to the Terry Blanca episode. So Terry is actually one of my partners in, in one of awesome. my deals. So uh, what I learned, so a lot of times women would come up to me and say, I want to do what you do. I want to buy shopping centers. How do I do it? And, you know, I'd say, well, be an LP in someone else's deal. That's how I did it. I did that seven times before I was a GP in my first deal, you know, limited partner, general partner. <laughs> and, um, and I said, well, why aren't you doing it now? And, and, you know, is it fear? Is it lack of capital? Is it, you don't understand it? You know, what, what, why aren't you doing it? So I started doing some research and I found that doing some research that of that in, in the C-suite, we've grown from, you know, next to nothing to 36% in the C-suite in commercial real estate women, which is great. But I found that in, of all investors, the amount of women that invest in commercial real estate is 3% and half of that are inherited or spouses. So people like me that did not inherit it and am, is not, am not signing on a guarantee to buy a shopping center with my husband is 1.5%. I feel that that's just unacceptable and deplorable actually. And so as I learned that stat and kept surveying women, I found that the number one reason women weren't investing is because they didn't see other women in their circle doing it. So if you see it, you can be it. So three years ago, I started a conference called the Women's Investment Summit, Commercial Real Estate Women's Investment Summit. And uh, the first year was during COVID. So we did it virtually where I interviewed eight women who have invested in self-storage, hospitality, you know, hotels, retail, land, um, industrial, and, and women got to hear that, oh, you know, she started with 25,000 as an LP or she, you know, she put together a group of women and they bought an out parcel for 1.2 million and they got a loan for half a million and they all put in 50,000. I mean, they just started realizing that it's not, you don't need millions of dollars. You don't, most of the women that, that I encourage to, to invest are leasing agents who have the tenant and found the property. And then they go hand it to a develop, a male developer that they know. And I'm like, why aren't you doing that? But they, they, they don't see other women doing it. So they don't have anybody to follow or, 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 you know, to follow and no one's leading them. So I've picked up the mission. I'm 62, Kurt, and I've decided that by the time I turn 70, we're going to get that 3% up to 10%. So we just had our third conference. The last two years they've been in person and I continue to raise the level of the people on stage. I have newbies on stage that, you know, I just bought my first shopping center last year to people who own, you know, 30 uh, hotels and, and women get to see, and, and the women that own the 30 hotels are, or, you know, 150 or let's see, 1500 multifamily units. I talk to them about their first deal. You know, how was it? How did you raise the money? And, and then I get lenders up there and I interview lenders and all the lenders say, all of the lenders support the stats. Cause I'll say, I just interviewed one of the lenders and I said, 
how long have you been lending? And he said, 25 years. And I said, and how many, you know, billions of dollars have you lent? And he's like, $500 million. I said, and how many women have you lent to besides me? Because he was one of my lenders. He goes, none. Wow. And I said, this is terrible. So, so, so I'm having the conference. I'm putting people, women on stage so other women in the audience can see other women. And what's happening is now there's the, the women on stage, like we have a woman, Natasha Falcone, who I've invested in three of her South Florida multifamily deals. Well, the, her last deal, I think she had seven women from the, from the conference that invested with her. And, and I just keep talking about it and preaching about it and getting on any stage I can. So thank you for, for being able to speak to it because the more, the more they find out about it and the more they learn, you know, that, oh, she's investing and she's investing and I'm investing. And then they have deals that they'll raise family and friends money from, and then we'll all just be investing. And then the, the percentage will grow. Yeah, that's fantastic. For those listening, where can they go find out information about your next event that you're hosting? So it's next March 7th and 8th in South Florida. We do we do the, the, the conference where we put women on stage and then I put them in a bus and I drive them around my, all my assets and I hand them a book and I go, this is how I financed it. This is how I raised the money. This is was the returns on it. So it's a lot of fun. And it's uh, March 7th and 8th and it's just on my website, bethazor.com. Fantastic. Um, you- you highlighted a bunch of really unique ways I think women can get more involved and learn from others. Are there any particular pieces of advice you'd give to women that are just starting out? I think this industry is so hard for people in their first three to five years, but I think particularly difficult for minorities and women as well. Anything you'd particularly impart upon the younger generation? So I met, so you talked about Retwit, right? So you know, um, if you know Retwit, you know about Strip Mall Guy. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So strip mall guy who for the audience is an anonymous Twitter uh, poster and you know, he's anonymous, but he posts unbelievable things about owning strip malls. And you know, every time he posts something, I go, you're in my brain because we're very similar. So he had, um, he had a, a meetup in New York city that I went to where he kind of unveiled himself to the hundred people that were there because no one knew who he was. And, um, and there was a young woman who flew from Houston, Texas, who she had been following him and DMing him. And, you know, he's a busy guy. He's got like 275,000 followers, but something that she said in a DM, they connected and he got on a call with her and he invited her to come to this. And she's literally her first year in the business. I think she's 23 years old. And so she came, I met her. Now all these people were there that, you know, were 20, 30 years in the business, met this young girl who first year in the business had the gumption to say, I'm not going to miss out on this. And back up, was on Twitter, followed him, DM'd him, got a call with him, got invited to his event. Now she and I are friends. She's going to walk around Vegas with me as shadowing me. So the young people in the industry, social media is a great place to build your network, you know, because there's only so much you can do. You could go to every BizNow event and every ICSE and every ULI and every crew but you're only going to meet 50 to 100 to 200 people at but you could be on social and she posts things like you know being new in the business I couldn't believe when I learned this and we were all there so it's very engaging what she's posting and she's putting herself out there and she's being vulnerable but we are all of us are so many people are reaching out to help her so right. so, so no one all of the newbies shouldn't underestimate the power of social 
media to build your network, but but also to learn. Because I'm posting something every, I'm posting a canvassing story three times a week. If you just read those, you're going to learn something. And and if you're learning, right, if you, and listening to podcasts, because use your car as a university, they could listen to all of your podcasts, all of my podcasts. They should be they. Sh- when you graduate from college and you join CRE, the commercial real estate industry, that's when your learning begins because what you learned in college has nothing to do. You know, I learned, I was an English literature major. So by the way, I was too, I can, I can commiserate. There you go. I remember in 1986 wearing out my Tom Hopkins, you know, cassette tapes. So, you know, if there are today, it's so easy there are probably besides your podcast and my podcast, a thousand other commercial real estate podcasts. So if, if what they should all be doing is educating themselves and they should be prospecting because the name of the game are deals. How do you get deals? You build your pipeline. How do you build your pipeline? Being proactive and prospecting. What's the best way to do that? In my opinion, canvassing. So, you know, we're back to that, but I think that, the most valuable newbie you can be is someone that's learning and offering to add value to the seniors. You know, I used to do that all. I would go in every Saturday and for, you know, from nine 30 to one, the boss was always there. He always ordered pizza for people. We would sit around and he would chat. Why, why did I get the best listings? I was the only leasing agent that showed up on Saturdays. I would go there to just kind of clean up my desk and do paperwork so that I wasn't doing that during the week. And I was in front of the, I was the only one. To, so if there's 12 leasing agents and I'm the only one there, who of course is he going to think about when we get the new listing in the door? Right. Um, tell me about where you think the industry is going to be in the coming years. In the next three, five the years, the particular, yeah, the particular themes you think are coming, changes you see. Wow, that crystal ball I did not get delivered from Amazon today because. <laughs> <you're>... <laughs> so, well, where I think it is going is going is very different from where everyone thought it was going. Right, Amazon just laid off, I think, ninety five percent of their real estate department. So, this whole idea that the retail retail's dead obviously is yeah. gone by the wayside because I think uh, online retailers you know, woke up to the fact that their customer acquisition costs, their CAC is much more expensive than opening a bricks and mortar. So how great for all of us. Um, but that's kind of old news, right? The new news is inflation, interest rates, construction costs. So I don't think, I think, I know that in South Florida, there will be very little development, new development for the next three to five years. If you don't have a shovel in the ground today, you're not putting one in, in the ground for probably 12 to 24 months, which is going to be great for property owners because rents are going to rise because of there's still huge demand in the Sunbelt states, and there won't be enough. There won't be any new supply. So I do predict that. I've been predicting that. I also predict, and again, predictions. You know, we can all watch this in a year or two and say oh, she was completely wrong, but. Um, 37 years in the business and being through many of these cycles, I, I have a little bit more, you know, information, I think, or, or instincts about it. I think interest rates level off before the presidential election. I don't think 
I don't think either candidate is going to want to run with a 6% interest rate. So I think that that, I think we're done now after the last one. We we're, I think we're going to pause and I think we're going to start to see a couple points. I don't think we'll ever get back to the twos and threes, but I think we set a lot at four. And frankly, my parents signed an 18% mortgage in 1982. So 4%, even 5%, you know, is, sounds good for me. But, um, you know, construction costs, we, you know, the weather, you know, having hurricanes and tornadoes and, and, and all of these terrible weather events, which then take all of our labor and all of our supplies away is, is just an awful thing. And again, not, not speaking politically, but having an immigration policy would help with the labor issues that we all are having and would help keep our construction costs down, which... Um, we've got demand from the retailers. We don't have supply. They can't pay for us to pay for the construction, the materials, the labor. That, that's, that's, you know, some of the biggest obstacles I see, at least in retail. And I think that, you know, the city is still not back. The cities and the permitting departments are still not back in their offices. They're still doing it virtually, which shame on them because you know we're their customers we're their citizens they need to get their butts back in the office because permitting the deals are just taking longer i think that malls will continue to be redeveloped for with multifamily and medical i used to say universities and corporate parks i don't i think we'll have plenty of corporate parks to work on we don't need to be be building any new ones but i do think medical and multifamily will be the new um, representatives, uh, a representation of some of these malls that are going to be, um, you know, shuttered and, you know, who's to say what's going to happen in the office industry. I don't know. Right. I think one of the things that's so interesting about the cycles here and, and the cycles of media and how the media will portray commercial real estate from a position where they just don't know, honestly, what they're talking about in a lot of instances, it, what they always talked about the Duma retail if I were to get back into brokerage now, I would be getting back. I would get into retail. It's the safest asset, in my opinion. So it's just so incredible to see the shift here. And who knows where it goes from here? You're right. I didn't get my crystal ball delivered either. Um, so I, I one last question for you. This has been so fantastic. Thank you so much. You're just such a wealth of knowledge. And I think our listeners are all going to be grateful and giving a huge applause. Um, how are you innovating right now? How are you trying to stay ahead of the curve? I think you always do such a fantastic job of that. Well, I haven't started with chat GPT yet. So that that's probably going to be my, you know, my next yep. move. I, everyone keeps asking me, are you going to do a class on chat GPT? I have not, my, I know my kid, my son, who's a freshman and just finished his freshman year in college, he's learned it. So um, that's probably the newest, latest thing. I would love to figure out how it can draft LOIs because that's yeah. the worst part of my job. Um, yep. Or, or you know, learn how to negotiate leases. That would be great. Um, yep. You know, I think that being the fact that I was not on any social media platform seven years ago to where I am today, it's pretty. And every year it seems like just the fact that just in January I jumped on Twitter. I had not been on Twitter. I was very happy just doing my LinkedIn thing and my Facebook and Instagram thing. So, um, but that's, you know, I think that AI is is probably our future and, and I, will, I won't put my head in the sand on it. You know, I always tell people with social media, do you want to be reluctant or do you want to be relevant? And so I think that, I think we all need to check out this chat GPT to be relevant. 
Yeah, I agree. It's the new frontier. Well, Beth, thank you so much for the time. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Kurt. Thank you.